Welcome in, everybody, to the Please Stay Inside podcast. This is episode number seven. I'm Rob, here joining you as always. We are also joined today by Christian Murillo. He is uh, he works in arts administration, currently as the ticketing manager for the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra, who perform at the Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts. Christian, welcome in. Hey, Rob, it's really great to be on. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I guess generally, I mean, we know you're the ticketing manager for the for the Kansas City Jazz. And so I take then that music is a, a big part of who you are. So uh, to make a long story short, uh, in fifth grade, I wanted to get out of class. So I joined orchestra with my mm-hmm. best friend. Didn't take it seriously uh, in middle school. I continued in it, got kicked out in seventh grade for messing around too much in class, um, ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and then had a teacher in high school, uh, the same teacher that I started off in, with fifth grade, also taught the high school. So she was nice enough to let me back in. I ended up joining band as well. And then band is what actually took me fully into a music degree where I studied music technology. <laughs> um, and was fully and just in the music world in uh, the college level doing orchestra, band, choir, performing at Carnegie Hall, performing at the Missouri Music Educators Conference in uh, 2016, Um, but just performing across various ensembles, uh, studying the recording arts, live sound, and uh, instrumental music conducting. Um, But so I, Finished up that music degree here in about 2019 and worked in real estate for three years and now have returned back to uh, music administration and uh, am really, really happy with where I am right now. Dang, man. You've been all over the place. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I've been told that I'm very, very great at interviewing in jobs, not uh-huh. in this setting uh, as well, <laughs> but... Um, I, with the ADHD comes a lot of job hopping, Mm. (laughs) Um, but like this is a career job that I've landed at. And so like, I really, really like my team. It's a very small Mm. team, uh, but we all like are very, very uh, trustworthy of each other, of our work. And so like, it's, uh, it's a unique setting that I haven't really experienced in the workplace anywhere else. Really? So having that, like that trustworthy team that you all just kind of, you get one another. Well, in music, if you're playing like a a string quartet, like you have to, when you show up to rehearsal, like if you don't know your part and the other three people Mm -hmm. do, you're letting, you're slowing everyone down. And like, there's some workplaces where you don't get paid enough to do your part maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But luckily uh, where, economically conscious in this organization um, as well as uh, mentally mm-hmm. and so um, we have that same music dynamic even though we're not necessarily making the notes ourselves we know mm-hmm. what it's supposed to feel like and right. so it's really nice to have other people that also work that way right oh yeah absolutely it's nice to have people who are kind of on like the same wavelength I guess uh, so with, I mean, you, like you said, you got into music as just kind of a, you know, it's a fun thing to do. We'll get out of class for a little while. It's of course, I mean, I, I can imagine as being a kid with ADHD, it's nice to be able to kind of get out of a traditional classroom setting and be able to go and just, you know, make some music somewhere. Well, and especially with like middle school, when you lose recess, you're not able mm-hmm. to go out and run outside with that ADHD, you have, I have to have an outlet. And so like, I got in trouble for being loud and talkative in class. And that was the one place I got to be loud at mm-hmm. the appropriate time um, without necessarily using my voice. Um, and ultimately it ended up becoming something bigger than just a way to get out of class mm-hmm. um, but I think along with uh, ADHD and some depression that I've had along my life I think I was using music as a therapeutic um, mm-hmm. thing without really realizing it until a little bit later in my college years. Hmm. Tell me about that therapeutic nature of the music uh, that, that you were working with because it I mean to get kicked out of it, you know, like you mentioned, and then to keep coming back to it. Like, it seems like you kept springboarding right back into it. You, so with being ADHD, 
I had butted heads a lot with teachers and I, for some reason, was just confident in knowing the arts or just making something out of nothing was important to me. Mm. And when I was kicked out and when I didn't have that access and same with when I worked in real estate for three years, I wasn't really that involved in the music world. I felt like I was kicked out. Mm -hmm. um, it was something that just had a pull like nothing else. Wow. And so there's this term called the golden handcuffs in corporate. If you've ever um, worked with people that talk about it, where you're making an income that you've set up a lifestyle that you're afraid to leave behind. And so working in real estate, I had unknowingly put on these golden handcuffs mm -hmm. where I had built a, what I think was a quaint life of just wanting, um, butting heads with roommates in college, needing to live alone. So mm -hmm. I live in a one apartment, uh, one bedroom apartment in the ghetto. But like, it's peaceful where I am. I'm friends with all the neighbors in the building. I've got a 90 pound German Shepherd Labrador Retriever who's oh, my best friend. Um, and so like, I've cr carved out my piece in this space. And it, like, um, like I said, it allows me to have the environment where I know I'm the most successful. Whereas having a, a bed at home that I know has not like been messed around, like, mm -hmm. I. Stupid college shenanigans, like, just <laughs> come back to your own mess, essentially. Right. Um, and, like, life is so chaotic that I know things are going to be happening that are outside of my control, that mm -hmm. my living space needs to be a place where it needs to be my space. Mm -hmm. And until I have a partner that is, we're on the, both on the same page, this has to be a, a place of, of peace so that sure. I can recoup and then go back in the world and, and do the things I need to do. For sure. What what does the chaos of the day-to-day -day look like? I mean, it sounds like there's a lot going on. Well, so my grandpa passed away here recently mm. in December. Um, I had lost a couple of room, uh, one of my close friends um, who was a roommate, he passed away from an epileptic seizure in college my wow. senior year. Um, so, and then there's just little things like your car breaking down and like uh, you not being able to find your keys because you're ADHD mm -hmm. and you're late to meetings. Um, but so like I found that when I was living with roommates and uh, there was added chaos to it that mm -hmm. if I did misplace my keys that then it turned into a 10 minute thing with my roommate because he's like, oh, are you sure you didn't check it here? And it's just like things kind of just go easier when it's me and my pup for mm -hmm. right now. <laughs> no, I, I hear um, you. And, and so, like I said, like with my uh, people, with all the uh, chaos, it's just um, I'm conscious of me not being able to control everything mm -hmm. and like making sure that, like I said, I can recoup. Right. And the control piece can be really difficult, especially when we're talking about living with other people. That's a really tough one. And so I had gone through like multiple, probably like seven roommates through college. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and so that was, I got paired with a random one at one point. Um, mm -hmm. And so I lived with a business major, didn't know the guy, was an alcoholic, um, and just made, I couldn't practice my instruments because mm -hmm. I always knew there was someone listening to me. And like, as a musician, like you have to have that time when it's just you sounding like crap mm -hmm. and like, and like you can't do the work for yourself or for the music that you want to do. If there's a person that doesn't want to hear you mm -hmm. playing violin or doesn't want to hear you playing flute and that's totally right. valid. And so I, have to respect those boundaries of there's another person also paying for this space i have to go to the practice rooms at 9 p.m when it's four degrees outside because i live in mm -hmm. warrensburg missouri like mm -hmm. like those are like and so living alone if i need to practice at 11 p.m for a gig the next morning i can be mm -hmm. pretty quiet and just do what i need to do so that i can do my job it's right. not really just necessarily about me 
because uh, I there are like three people that I can think of right now that we have lived together and can live together again and uh, if we had a big enough space mm-hmm. um, but like uh, for right now this is what works and like control is a thing that I'm aware of mm-hmm. that um, I do tend to have control issues as mm-hmm. a conductor same here <laughs> same here kind of have to have control of the situation mm-hmm. when you're working with 16 different people's schedules and when 16 different people are also relying on you to make them mm-hmm. look good right. um, because you can't put people on that stage and then bring an audience in and make your friends look bad so right. like and like i said my music work ethic leaks into my personal life mm-hmm. and so um meditation has been a big part in me reining it in because and i'm a flute player so breath Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, literally all breath control we it's a small instrument but we use the Mm -hmm. most air out of any um of the sections other than the tuba because half of our air goes out of the instrument Mm -hmm. so you think a saxophone the whole mouthpiece is in your mouth Mm -hmm. your whole air stream is going in uh, so like you don't have to use as much to make as big as a sound True. but when half your air is going out you have to be able to control your diaphragm mm-hmm. and actually like push at the appropriate levels because also your diaphragm is in charge of where you are in your register so if you want to play mm-hmm. low that's all you there's no button for that it's mm-hmm. just your air speed um, mm-hmm. But like unknowingly and becoming a flute player, I learned how to control those muscles. Right. And when I started to do work on mindfulness uh, mm-hmm. is when you came into the deep breathing and controlling the breath. And when you're feeling rushed, like I, mm-hmm. it's not always easy. And meditation is not the solution to an anxiety attack at all the time, but it is a tool in my toolbox that mitigates me having the number of anxiety attacks that I might be having. Um, and like I said, it's not an easy thing also to develop. Right. Like if a person has never done breath work like that, mm-hmm. it's will take a while to get into a, a habit. And so mm-hmm. like when I move from apartment to apartment, sometimes my routine gets dysregulated. Sure. And then I'm like, oh wait, I haven't meditated in three weeks because I've just been trying to, and so when I sit down and recommit to that, Mm -hmm. I start to notice things going a little bit better in my day to days. Right. Yeah. It is so important to be able to take that time and just check in with ourselves, spend some time with ourselves. And so for you, you know, you have developed this skill that simultaneously has also helped you with this coping skill of being able to do some of that breath work. Does it also kind of help you? Because I mean, the first stage of being able to kind of recognize when we need to do some breath work at times is being able to recognize that, you know, my body has shifted into anxiety mode. How do you do with that? And do you feel like it's changed at all, given what you have experience on? So when I when I left, I I guess we'll start in when I was in music school, there was a point where I started having anxiety attacks Mm. and I was very confused because I knew I was doing the thing I loved, but my body was telling me something was wrong. And so that was, I guess, the first steps in my consciousness, accepting what my physical body was telling me, uh, the cognitive dissonance of me seeing a calm space, but Mm -hmm. there being alarm bells going off. Like I had to really sit and like, think about okay if 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 it's not in this room is it is it this town is it the school is it the situations i'm putting myself in hmm. but like i but like you said it took me three years to be able to like even like one start recognizing it and two start asking for help mm-hmm. and so as a college student not really having the resources to be able to afford a therapist right. um you kind of just turn to alcohol mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so that's what happened to me for a bit and it was damaging to not only my liver <laughs> um but mm-hmm. to my social relationships to me being able to play my instruments correctly mm-hmm. like and so i had to hit a rock bottom um before i started to 
listen to the advice that you always hear about breathing, about taking the time, about slowing down, because my doctors were li like, uh, I had to have elbow surgery. And for a physical example, my uh, orthopedic surgeon was telling me, hey, if you don't take a six break a uh, month from music, you're gonna be damaging the nerves in your hands for a lifetime. And wow. my professors didn't care. It's mm. their job yeah. to get me to take private lessons. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ended up having to have uh, surgery in between uh, fall semester and winter semester. Um, had to, uh, no, I took it, I, I did, sorry. I had a tonsils taken out. I had mm -hmm. my elbow worked on over a summer um, where I was doing some audio work. So I wasn't actually like uh, fiddling around very much or like playing. Mm -hmm. um, but I probably took me nine to 12 months to like get back to where I was wow. previous to the surgery. Um, and so like I've made literal physical sacrifices to be able to be a part of the show mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily to be a part of the show, but for like me to be able to pick up an instrument when I'm just by myself mm -hmm. and be able to play for me mm -hmm. uh, because you, as I work with professional musicians, I the advice I am getting is you are your first audience member. Because, mm -hmm. oh, and I have asked this question too to professional musicians is, when you get up on that stage, who do you do it for? Is mm -hmm. it for the 800 people out there or is it for you and the band? And the answer that I've gotten back is, when I consider myself as the most important audience member, and I play to heal that person. Those 800 people are along for the ride. And wow. so it's kind of that uh, in an emergency when you're on an airplane, put your mask on first before mm -hmm. you help anyone else. Like I found that in my personal life when I've applied that, um, I've acted out of self selfishness, which just mm -hmm. to benefit me, and I've acted out of selfishness that has benefited my community. Mm -hmm. And I've started to recognize the selfishness that benefits my community. And so I work at a nonprofit. Like, um, I'm the ticketing manager. I don't make mm -hmm. jack shit from like commission. Like, I don't mm -hmm. make, like, we run so in the negative. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. um, my position was fully donated by somebody. Oh, like, wow. um, it's, it's like I said, it's not, uh, when I tell people to come to the show, it's just because I want them to come experience something. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and so, <laughs> sorry, I gotta take a breath real quick. Yeah, take your time, man. Um, I'm, I know, but it's okay. It's okay. Oh. <laughs> um, could you refresh me real quick? Absolutely, man. So, I mean, you were talking about, you know, you were talking about playing, you know, for yourself, you know, and, and engaging in a little bit of that selfishness, which is... I think so helpful in, this, in uh -huh. this in this role, I mm -hmm. have been able to bring my parents into shows, and my mom has had a really shitty year with her back. And so, mm -hmm. like when I've seen her go into these shows, like she comes up with a smile, and I hadn't seen her in like wow. four months. And I was like, "You've been on like opioids, and like this is what it took." And so, like in me following a career that I love my mom has now benefited my dad has now benefited mm -hmm. i've been able to go out to the latino communities here in the kansas city area which have, have been historically redlined if you know what that is oh yeah but essentially just uh yeah so for the audience members redlining mm -hmm. is when really rich people look at a map and are like oh i want to live in this area but i don't want the poor people here so mm -hmm. we're gonna make this area really really cheap and this area really expensive and then build infrastructure around that so that uh, communities are no longer walkable and to keep things, uh, it's modern day segregation. Absolutely. Um, in Kansas City, uh, it officially ended in about 1970, um, but the repercussions, like there's literal like uh, four lane highways that now like divide these walkable communities that mm -hmm. th these should be walkable communities. Absolutely. Um, 
anyway, um, I've really looked up to my music professors and music teachers, and it's that same thing of when you go into the practice room for two hours a day, it's not the most enjoyable to lock yourself in the basement in a small four by four room and just work on sounding better. Mm-hmm. And when you see the audience members walk out with that change, now I'm speaking for myself. For me, mm-hmm. I, I, I do it for both me and the audience. Sure. Like I, I, when I play a show, not talking about my, my job, when I have an instrument in my hand, I'm very conscious of the music that I am presenting to the people in the audience because when they leave that hall, there's mu- like there's screamo music and I, mm-hmm. I respect all music, but that's my jam. Music, so there's, you got to respect screamo. <laughs> that is meant to make you feel angry. Mm-hmm. There is music that is meant to make you feel uh, agony. There is music that is meant to make you feel every type of emotion, and so as a musician and as a programmer, you are responsible for the music that you put on and the emotional weight that that carries. Tchaikovsky 6, which this is just music history stuff, Tchaikovsky 6 is a very, very deep, like morbid piece of music. And it is one of my favorite pieces. It is, I have a six year long, for Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake and Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony. I don't listen to Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony maybe every four years um, because it is a piece that has inspired me, but I know the weight that it carries and it is not Mm -hmm. something that is meant to be listened to every day. Um, And so the music I personally believe in making is music that can be played frequently that makes you happy that makes you upbeat that relieves you a little bit because i know i can make music that is heart-wrenching and deep like that but i want people to feel a certain type of way and i'm conscious of that Mm -hmm. both in my music making and in my presence anywhere whether that be at work whether that be at the grocery store like we are all part of members of a bigger ensemble which is society whether you want to be recluse or not Um, When you enter any social setting, you get to be a part of the vibe. And if you see the vibe is wrong, you leave. At least that's what I've done and has worked pretty well for me to keep me out of dangerous situations. Like I said, I live in the ghetto. I live in the red line districts I'm talking about. Um, And so I can't, I work at the Kaufman's, which is a very prestigious building. So I like uh, when I'm wearing a suit, I don't stop by the gas stations in my neighborhood because I don't want to get mugged because <laughs> mm. I look like I have money and I don't. Um, mm. But like, I have to put on, I have to be the face of these prestigious organizations. And so uh, just being conscious of where I put myself and the energy that I bring, um, again, comes from musicianship. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that safety is always a very important piece. But I, I, one of the things, I mean, it you have so much respect for music, and it's really just, I think, amazing to be able to hear, like, the way that you talk about, like, it, it seems like everything it can be related back to music in, in the way that you talk about it. Like, society being a, a big ensemble, I think, is such like, a beautiful way of, of kind of picturing things. Um, and I mean, with the role that music has played in your life, I imagine, you know, you were talking about the nine months that it took to you know, kind of recover from the elbow surgery. Were you able to play during that time? So I so in the immediately after I got that surgery, I was mm-hmm. working at Birch Creek Music Performance Academy, which is oh, a no. school for very advanced high school musicians an mm-hmm. hour north of Green Bay, Wisconsin. I made some of the best friends of my life up there, my uh, co-workers up there that I still is like one of my only active group chats to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but 
I'm so, could you refresh me yeah. one more time? Yeah. So we were, uh, I had asked about like, you know, that nine month period when you weren't, when you had got uh, the surgery sorry. and you were trying to recover. Uh, as soon oh, as good. I got out of my surgery, I went to go work at Birch Creek. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I was not, uh, my job up there was as an audio engineer. So mm -hmm. I was the person um, in charge of setting up the speakers, the microphones, the lights, all, anything that had to do with the stage and the venue. I was the person that set up all the seating and it was about a 320 person venue. And we mm -hmm. usually, we sold out on our 4th of July shows, but we usually had a 200 to 180 person house on any given night. Um, but so um, I wasn't able to play my entire arms, like, cause I had a surgery on my wrist and on my elbow. Oh, wow. So my entire arm was in a cast. So all I really had was my left hand, which is not my dominant hand. And I could mm -hmm. like kind of use my laptop like this mm -hmm. um, when I needed to. Um, but so I was in charge of being in front of the mixing board. So oh, I was just had to do this. Mm -hmm. So I was making music, even though um, I was not necessarily had an instrument in my hand. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of that, so that I was at that job for three months. Uh, so then when I came back to music school, that was about four to five months after the surgery. And that's when I did force myself to start playing again, because I, in listening to physical therapists, um, uh, to s get... The, to the, the level that musicians use our tendons and ligaments and muscles, like the only way to get it back up to that level is just by doing it. There's not really a great way to, um, when I had worked with physical therapists, they didn't understand what needed to be, they didn't understand the end goal of being a musician mm -hmm. as far as the physical movements went. And so I learned just by doing getting back into it, that that was more helpful to me than the physical therapy, just playing. Mm -hmm. And like, I would stop, like my professors knew that I had just gotten surgery. And so in orchestra, I think I would play for maybe 20 minutes and then mm -hmm. put it down for like 10, eight to 10 minutes and then would pick my instrument back up and, and play again. Um, but, uh, it wasn't great to be not be able to do it fully like that. Sure. But like you said, I'm like a springboard apparently, and mm -hmm. I don't, it has to be a part of my regimen uh -huh. at some level. And, and so when I worked in real estate, like I said, I wasn't really in it. Like I, I was in how intensely I was in music school. So mm -hmm. my car rides to work, like I made sure that I was blasting music when mm -hmm. I'm driving my office to my cubicle in the mornings and then on my lunches I didn't really go eat I would literally just go be loud in my car for wow. 30 minutes because when I got back to my cubicle all I heard was people typing and it was right. excruciating because my ears are tuned to any everything and everything not just musical instruments but um, I did sound design and like sound for television. So you're like recording room tone. So like mm -hmm. my ears literally will like hear the different sounds of a quiet room. And so wow. put that in an office setting. Right. Like I'm, I'm tuning into the keystrokes of a person like 12 mm -hmm. cubicles away from me right. because I'm used to tuning into musicians about 15 feet away from me and like being mm. able to stay in tune with them right um, so i mean like jim so, chewing too loud over here that's <laughs> maddening yeah. um but so uh like i said when in these moments when i can't be as involved in music as i'd like to be i substitute my playing with just making sure that i'm listening mm -hmm. to it and in uh, intentional listening to that as well um, because I'm not always able to, even, even though I work in uh, live sound performance, I don't, I can't always afford to go to every concert that right. I want to. So like, I have a really good, like professional level recording studio sound system. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm able to just listen to live performances and Spotify, mm -hmm. like professional, like uh, level, like audio level mm -hmm. from my own home. So that's mm -hmm. also how I've supplemented music when I'm not able to necessarily have an instrument in my hand. Right. 
I love that. You're, you're always finding a way of bringing in that thing that has so much meaning to you into your daily life to keep you going. Um, well, and like, in, in so like when I was working in, in real estate, like music was helping uh, monthly. My team would process about 600 refinances and I was just titled escrow, not a salesman. I just did the paperwork mm-hmm. for the people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. But um, music in a way was helping finance and mm-hmm. like, and when I talk about uh, us being individuals in the, the ensemble of society, like we all accomplish goals in different ways. And like, I know that music is not therapeutic for everyone and does not sure. have the same value for everyone, but for the people that it can have some relief for in moments, like I, I don't expect people to like fully immerse their lives into it, but mm-hmm. like, I like to just <laughs> try to bring into it that I know wouldn't normally come into these sort of performing art settings because mm-hmm. so much of your personality comes through that instrument. Um, and like when it comes to vocal music, like you can literally say mm-hmm. what you're feeling, but with jazz, like it is about soul. Like mm-hmm. that's why, cause it's about being able to say something over audio as opposed to with your words. And so for example, uh, Sean Jones is an amazing trumpet player. Um, he teaches jazz at, uh, I believe it's, uh, John Hopkins, um, but he gave a story of uh, these three girls that were abused in the South. Um, and he wrote this trumpet piece. It was just solo trumpet. And the story that he described and then the notes that rang through his horn, it felt like someone was speaking every word to you, like you knew what he was saying without him saying it. Mm-hmm. And so like, part of why I get so worked up about it is, is, is because I think you're able to access a part of the psyche that you, that I'm not normally able to access with mm-hmm. my words or with my physical, like, like athletic act, like, mm-hmm. um, cause it is a physical action that you're doing when you're making right. music. It's just on a very small scale. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but the, the, shared experience of not just playing music with your fellow musicians, but the shared experience of your audience members with each other, mm-hmm. like strangers, like uh, we had a concert on Friday and I was sat next to this very old, uh, nice uh, elderly ladies. And uh, I got to talking to them and like, it's just, I make these connections that I don't make anywhere else in my social life. Like right. music has brought me not just friends, but just acquaintances. And like, it's brought me experiences, not just through the notes themselves, but by being an audience member, by being an administration, like mm-hmm. that have benefited my, 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 my personal, like I said, my friends at Birch Creek, like that I'm in the group chat with, mm-hmm. we, uh, get excited when we have weddings because it's like our like hangout time that like we all will drop everything for and carve out that time to be there and like support them and like that's not most co-workers don't do that like, we live all across the country kevin mm-hmm. lives in new york renee lives in minnesota jake wow. lives in chicago i'm in kansas city but like we do this for each other like mm-hmm. we um, and so not just in me being able to express my musicality, but when I'm next to other people who also like to express the same way, mm-hmm. like our social connections outside of music are like cement strong. Yeah. And it's just a unique bond that it I've is. come across. It is. It is. Um, I myself, I, I played music for, for quite a while um, myself, mostly guitar, and I, I've done a lot of vocal type of stuff. 
Um, and back in the day, I used to be uh, actually in the in this metal band. Um, and there would be like those moments where we would just be riffing and we would just be you know making things up as we're going along. And there is like like you're talking about, there's like that unspoken language and that unspoken way of connecting with other people where like, you know, like I like I taught one of my buddies how to play guitar because I just played by myself and I wanted to I wanted him to play too. And so he learned how to play like lead and I would play rhythm. And there'd be like these moments where like you shift key and the other person just knew you were about to shift. And it's just like it's this surreal. Yes. Yes. It's that surreal experience that you cannot put into words. Um, and I, I totally, yeah, I, I get, I get how that feels. It's a really amazing thing. And so, um, uh, so I told you, um, in our, our pre-interview that, uh, I had done ketamine assisted, uh, psychotherapy. Right. And ketamine got me to the point where I could start doing the work again. Ketamine didn't just cure my depression overnight, how I thought all these articles that I had read mm -hmm. um, told me it was going to do. And I had to recognize I needed the help, ask for the help, start this medication process. And then, like I said, got me to the point of um, realizing, okay, my body is now a little bit calmer and ha now has the energy and a little bit more focus to start doing the things that actually make me happy, which right. is music, which is being financially stable, which is having a place to myself. Like mm -hmm. ketamine doesn't give me that. Ketamine mm -hmm. gives me the building blocks so that I can do the day-to-day, moment-to-moment, second-by-second hard mm -hmm. work. Um, and so... Uh, it, like I said, um, music is the, like, my active day-to-day -day therapy. And, right. like, when I need that bigger help is when I reach out to my psychiatrist. And uh, so there's called loading phases and then uh, boosters. Mm -hmm. And so I try and do a booster once a year. Um, usually around winter time because I live in Missouri, seasonal depression. Yeah. Um, and just uh, keep that maintenance. But that's usually something that my psychiatrist is like, hey, um, I, I think you might want to schedule, talk to the nurse and schedule just a booster. Sure. And I, I try to listen to him as best I can. Right. Uh, I had a session with him yesterday. So he's my, um, he handles all of my, uh, epileptic medicines, um, as well as uh, that uh, when we need to. Um, but yesterday we had a session, and he was like, um, "Hey, Christian, like, uh, I'm really like glad that you're happy at your new job. And by the way, this is like the happiest that I've seen you since we hmm. started treatment. And it really, really hit hard because, like I said, it wasn't the ketamine that like was the mad like." Um, it was listening to my 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 consciousness uh, my mm -hmm. my subconscious of like hey i know it sounds crazy to get out of real estate and go back into the performing arts but for your sanity for your health for your finances you this is what is best and this is what right. you're good at um and so like i said my psychiatrist when we had started the ketamine treatments he had actually told me that i was the only unresponsive patient of 200 that he was treating wow um, he didn't mean to say that out of like uh -huh. like he was saying it out of like he was stumped like mm -hmm. he was like he was he had been working with me like every step of the way and he was just like christian i've i i'm i, I can't think of of any like uh any other this is the most extreme step we have mm -hmm. um and to what he said to me yesterday and like me bringing that and what it took for him to say that of me doing that work like i said like it's just i'm proud of myself not of that i could get him to say <laughs> imposter like i have a hard time accepting when like I'm doing great things, even though logically I know I am. 
Mm-hmm. And like I, and so like I said, that's when I take a deep breath and I'm like, wait a second. Things are actually like, like your boss has told you, like, you know, your boss is happy with you. Mm-hmm. You know, your psychiatrist is happy with you. Like, um, you know, like your social life is now starting to take form again. Like sometimes you want to see, like I said, with the, sometimes you want to see that magic bullet in your life just mm-hmm. come back together all like that after you have had a PTSD episode and go off on people and push people away. And like I said, the ketamine doesn't apologize to people. Right. The ketamine, like the ketamine gets to the place of like, oh, I fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, oh shit, I have social relationships to men. I have apologies. Mm-hmm. I have work to do for if I want to have a life that is full of people I love. Right. Um, sorry. Tiring over. <laughs> no, you're all good. You're all good. I mean, it's, I feel like it's important to be able to talk about, you know, the different aspects that go into all of this, you know, that, you know, there's not a single way of, of getting to it. You know, it's a whole combination of things and you're doing the work day in and day out. You know, you're continuing to follow up, not just with your psychiatrist, but you're continuing to envelop yourself in the things that you love. You made that really, what I have to imagine was a massive move of going from real estate and then going back to that thing that you really loved it sounds like there was like a a little bit of uncertainty of just like you know is this going to be the safe option is it going to work out i mean there's a lot to it and so i essentially was booted out of real estate so Uh, real estate as an industry as you you probably have heard on the news just crashed. So mm-hmm. I worked for the third largest mortgage lender in the country, guaranteed rate out of Chicago. Okay. Um, and December, like 2020, I saw 2020, 2021, mm-hmm. December, 2021, I saw an article that better, uh, another mortgage lender had laid off 500 people. And I was just like, Oh, that's a little weird. And so, like, I had kind of braced for something. And then February 17th last year, mm-hmm. my uh, skip boss got me on a Zoom call and, like, legitimately, like, with, like, regret, like, did, like, had to lay me off because of my seniority. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, And so about two weeks ago, my other team lead just got laid off. Oh, wow. um, real estate interest rates have gotten so bad that the team has essentially um, so I had my boss from that job give me a reference to uh, the job that I have now and as I was catching up with her she let me know that she was on furlough as well mm-hmm. um, and that she's now on four day weeks instead of five because there's just not that business mm-hmm. um, but so as I was on the job market again I started to realize like hey if you apply to these real estate jobs you may get let, laid off again because mm-hmm. this kind of looks like the start, not the end. Right. Uh, and sure enough, like I said, my teammate was laid off last week and he had been there for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just not opportunity, even if you're amazing at what you do. And so as I was on LinkedIn looking for real estate jobs is mm-hmm. when I saw an internship with um, with the Kansas City Jazz Orchestra. Wow. Like, hey, like even if, even if like you don't, like if he and so it was a paid internship not mm-hmm. that much but i was sure. just like hey like it's it, it it's it's some it's to, it's to have it in your life at some level again mm-hmm. hey, even if this isn't doesn't turn into a full-time opportunity like it's something and so sure enough i was ex- uh, was offered that internship and i started working at a luxury hotel of uh, the next week at full time so i was mm-hmm. doing 40 hours a week at a uh, well unnamed uh, luxury mm-hmm. five-star hotel here in kansas city dealing with celebrity celebrity clientele oh wow um, yeah like legitimately like uh I don't think I'm under NDA. We work with the NFL. We work uh, with Lizzo. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, 100, I'm 100% not under an NDA. I know that for certain. Mm-hmm. I know what I sign. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble here. Coming from real estate, I know uh-huh. what I sign and what I don't. Uh-huh. Um, but we worked with like Lizzo. And so I got to uh, check in Travis Kelsey. Uh, wow. To, uh, Patrick Mahomes, Travis, like our yeah. Chiefs people, like they um, like it there. And so uh, 
I was doing, like I said, 40 hours there and about 10 to 12 hours of the internship when I was only contracted five, but I mm -hmm. like just wanted to be around it again. So I was just volunteering that extra couple hours, just helping out with administrative work, with spreadsheets mm -hmm. that needed to just be cleaned up. Um, and eventually my boss saw that I, that it was more than a job to me, right. that it was like legitimately like a, uh, a passion for me um, and seeing how I was working over there, that kind of upscale customer service um, translates to the musicians that I deal now with over here because I, um, everyone goes through me to get tickets, even mm -hmm. the performers, our headliners, the directors, like everybody goes through me. And so you have to have that uh, clientele uh, privacy that like be able to not be like uh, star stud or like, like freeze when you're working right. with these people. Um, and also musicians hate it when you see them as talent Mm -hmm. Like, um, you have to let them know that you know that they're a person and you mm -hmm. are not just trying to, like, be there for proximity or, like, you're just, like, in the, like, that's, I'm just here to help. I'm just here to get your family to see you in the seats. Like, right. I'm not, I've never asked for an autograph, nor do I care for that. I think it's really inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, good, good for you. Um, that, that, um, I would have a hard time with that. <laughs> so I, um, I was at this jazz club in L.A. in December, and I went up and talked to this singer after a show. And mm -hmm. it turns out that she had three Grammy Awards and, like, two Emmys. And wow. I actually had her – we just started chatting, and I was like, hey, like, by the way, like, your vocal technique is, like, amazing. When you got up to that upper register, I could tell that there was no tension in your larynx. And, like – as opposed to going up to somebody and being like, wow, you're amazing. Like, mm -hmm. have you, anyone uh -huh. ever told you that you're just so great? Uh -huh. Like, like right. being able to, like, tell them what about it was great. Right. Like, because I'm not there for proximity, because if it was bad, I wouldn't have gone up to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, I'm so, and I've worked with so many talented people that, like, uh, apparently I have good taste because, like, uh, when I... Uh, talk with these talented people and I say the things that I do they're all like you're making like legitimate like technical valid sense like it's not mm. just like I said empty words but that's right. I have a music degree so like I would hope that I have those sure words. sure um, <laughs> that's still an honor like I said like no acknowledging that they're a person behind that technique um and the day my grandfather died that jazz musician's cousin died that same morning oh wow and I was I live in the ghetto like I told you I got you it's all good <laughs> um uh, the same day that my grandfather had passed away, her cousin had passed away. And when I went up and talked to her after the performance, I was like, like, Hey, um, you did what music does. You, um, just so you know, you gave me a really, really moment of peace on mm -hmm. a really, really shitty day. So like, yeah. thank you for the hours that you put into your technique to give me this relief in this unbearable moment. And she looked at me and she was like, I haven't told anyone this, but you're the first, um, I haven't told anyone yet, but my, my close cousin passed away this, this morning and I mm -hmm. didn't want to say anything because if I said it out loud, I wouldn't have been able to get on this stage and right. do what I needed to do for, I think there was about 80 to 90 people in that, it was a, like, uh, it was a club like a mm -hmm. restaurant club, not like a okay. performing art center, but for those 80, but that's the thing she she cared about those 80 people enough right. to get up on stage and, and, and do what musicians do. And she thanked me for sharing my humanity and then shared her piece of humanity with me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up inviting her to sing Amazing Grace at my grandfather's funeral. Um, and there was about 200 people at that service. And... Mm -hmm. It was such an odd experience because everyone's crying. I get up at the end of the service and just, it, I just go up to introduce. I wasn't planning to give a speech, but I was just very briefly like, hey, I'm sorry that we're all here. 
I acknowledge that this is a really shitty moment for all of us, but like, mm. look to your left, look to your right. There's so many people in this room that you still get to love. Right. So like, as shitty as this is, remember we can't break down and stop mm. functioning for each other. Like, we use that spirit, that memory of love that he gave us and, and continue. Mm. And so I was just like, um, I don't have any more words that can express what I feel in this moment. So I've asked my friend here. She gave the most beautiful performance I've ever heard. And then mm. the, I just, like these moments that I've told you about in other settings, uh, I sh this, this funeral home turned into Carnegie Hall. And all yeah. of a sudden these people that are crying and in agony, I just see that relief, that stillness for those three and a half minutes. I gave them the music therapy that I knew they needed in that moment. But like, that's my job as a music programmer. This is like I said, I care about what they feel when they leave that space. Right. And so when I gave my grandfather that beautiful, beautiful honor of that rendition of bringing a Grammy award winning artist to do that, like I had family members coming up to me and like thanking me and like I didn't tell anyone I had only told my aunt who did the logistics of everything but mm -hmm. so like everyone was and so uh, most of my family's Mexican and she mm -hmm. sang the last verse of Amazing Grace in Spanish and so uh, I had people coming up to me being like thank you for not only bringing her but for thinking of that small detail of having that last verse in Spanish for our relatives from like straight up like central Mexico that like mm -hmm. legitimately don't understand English. Um, but as much as I did it for them, I did it for me because I mm -hmm. knew that I needed the moment of peace after a funeral service. I knew that mm -hmm. I couldn't leave that hall broken because I have people that rely on me to be functional. And so I installed music therapy in in there and so like i said when i when that music bleed over into my personal life there is no line at this point right like and it's beautiful because my friends my musician friends like we all understand what we can do it's mm -hmm. a superpower but like like i said there's a weight to it not just to the audience members but to for her, for my, for, for uh, Laura Dickinson to get up in front of a funeral and, and, and give that performance and do what she did, it, she, you can be, a, there's, you can half-ass your job at any job, mm -hmm. but as a musician, she fully delivered with her, and like, like I said, she had also recently had a loss, so I think she was also singing for herself as well. Yeah. Like I said, musician, we do it for yourself first, and then others will heal as well like right. um it's just i do administration because i know that i'm capable of moving people and audience members but it takes such a toll on me because i feel every millisecond of it Mm. Um, and so if I were to have performed Amazing Grace at my grandfather's funeral, I don't have the professional skills that Laura did mm -hmm. to be able to separate the emotion from the th end product that needed to be delivered. Because if I right. would have started doing it on flute, I probably would have gotten through the first verse and then broke down because now I'm trying to play, but I'm thinking of my deceased grandfather but like she is a professional musician mm -hmm. more than i more than, i am also a professional but she more than i like she mm -hmm. had the emotional bandwidth uh separation the uh self internal boundaries to be able to get through that performance do her job um and also me be able to just get that therapeutic value like i said um mm. sorry if i no getting emotional it's all it's okay um 
when I have 800 people in an audience or whether I have 200 people in an audience or whether I have 80 or five, like everyone has a birthday, everyone has parents, everyone has siblings, everyone has, and so like, it is such, it takes such an emotional bandwidth for me to like reduce it down sometimes to just, hey, meet your audience members one at a time. Mm-hmm. And like when you actually get to know, cause they're not audience members, they're, 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 they're people. And so when you get the time to actually get to know them as opposed to like, uh, like Drake mm-hmm. probably doesn't care about his fans. And so like, there's like a difference of like acknowledging, like I said, who you're making the music for, what you're trying to make them feel and what you're trying to make yourself feel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in essence, being a musician has fueled my emotional intelligence by a million. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be really frustrating because when you work around with other people that maybe don't have that same emotional intelligence, I can't get frustrated for them not having those skills because sometimes it's like asking someone to play tuba when all they have is a euphonium. Mm -hmm. Like some people don't have that access yet to that emotional bandwidth. And so Mm -hmm. I have to slow down sometimes, give other people the grace and like, make sure that I'm asking for things in a way that is respectful in Mm -hmm. time and like conscious of other people's feelings. Like I've tried uh, and I have gotten so, so, so much better about not trauma dumping. And we use that Mm -hmm. word so weird these days, but like legitimately, like I don't talk to my friends about my abuse because I have professionals that handle that stuff now. Mm -hmm. But like I had to learn how to respect my friend's boundaries. That's Mm -hmm. part of it too. Um, But like I said, I can't see a therapist every day or every week, but I can administer music almost. Yes, you can. Like my boss does not, my boss has headphones in most of the time. Like she's like, we're encouraged to like when we want to plug in and, and, and like I can get up whenever I want and take a breath at work like she my boss has literally been like you're not tied to your desk and we work in a cohabitation space so like there's like offices that like are not like i have my own private cubicle office it's not a cube it's a cool it's a cool office Mm -hmm. Um, i have my own like private desk but then like there's literally like probably like 25 other like public workstations with like cool views of kansas city that Mm -hmm. i can just like go change my day to day because that's another part of why this job works so well with me is that in retail sometimes things can feel like Oh, two weeks can feel the exact same and sometimes mm-hmm. in real estate like it's like when i'm just going through spreadsheets day after day after day after day it's like copy paste copy paste and that drives me insane with my ocd oh, yeah. and adhd with this job it's i it's like project based mm. so i work on one thing it usually completes and then sometimes i don't have to touch that thing ever again and sometimes like right now I'm building infrastructure for ticketing. So hmm. I'm like interviewing different ticketing companies, but like once I choose that, I don't have to like go do that work again. Like it's just a part of my infrastructure. So like, and so I take meetings sometimes in coffee shops, my mm-hmm. boss, like if I need, if so I have chronic health conditions. So if I need to, work from home and like check emails from home for an hour or two before I go do exert physical Mm -hmm. uh, energy to go into my office is about like 10 minutes away. It's not bad. Um, But when you're dealing with chronic health conditions, sometimes Mm -hmm. that is difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. So I can recoup like email from bed if I need to and like then go into it but like i'm given the grace at work but like not everyone has that right um and so like i said when in the times when i haven't had that being able to go to my car and listen to music for 30 minutes mm-hmm. going on my lunch break and throwing in headphones while i eat like mm-hmm. um i'm so grateful that i get to have the access that i do to not just music but to being able to change my space um, mm. when appropriate, 
that has been a big part of finding a job that works with my mental health conditions. Right. That like it is it 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 makes me work better. Mm-hmm. And like having a boss that sees that change works for me better is also another layer Absolutely. that I don't control, but has been so nice that I've uh, met this vibration where I've found this environment. Right. And I, I hope that employers can respect these kinds of things for sure. Um, so, I mean, it's phenomenal. And it's, it's so amazing to get to listen to you talk about music and the way that it's impacted your life. And I really hope that one of the things that people can take from this conversation is that, you know, it's important to find these things that really bring out that meaning, that bring that passion. You know, even if you aren't doing things that directly involve that, being able to find ways of bringing that into your day to day, because it is, it's very easy to get caught up in the monotony of things in the day to day and the nine to five. And it's just, it's so important for us to take that time to take care of ourselves. Um, so last question I wanted to ask you before we, uh, before we head out today, um, I know you mentioned that, you know, you enjoy listening to some live performances with, with your equipment and everything. Do you have a favorite live performance that you go to? Oh, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Um, glass animals has been like one of my favorite bands. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, it's called like the melt festival 2017 Mm -hmm. their live performance it's like a whole set like their whole like hour set is like on youtube like Mm -hmm. hd but so like since i have that professional level audio equipment like it's like you're getting like the feed that like goes into the mixing board at those concerts wow so like you get a real because it's not a concert recording it's Mm -hmm. a feed Sure. It's, as opposed to like microphones above the audience it's just whatever's going into like the actual mixing console mm. um sorry nerd talk i love <laughs> um, it love it but uh, uh glass animals and like i i met them like twice now oh, nice. i got to meet all four of them here mm-hmm. last august they did a 200 person pop-up show and like the, it was like a mile and a half from my apartment. Wow. I was I was like number one sixty in line. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I met all of them. They signed one of my. Oh, it's not behind me. They signed one of my musical instruments and complimented my musical abilities. Nice. Because they were doing an acoustic set, mm-hmm. and I like I had watched like all of their music videos, and I had bought an instrument that they use for wow. like. Uh, it's a, it's a pineapple shaker uh-huh. um but so i had brought it just to get it signed because it was a meet and greet and so they were like um we didn't really bring any instruments so like um we want like as much audience uh, uh participation as possible so like whatever you guys can do like help us out oh, and you were and ready so, like <laughs> well i had binge watched the i had ocd watched their like uh-huh. other live performances and i had literally like mimic muscle memory learned like this shaker part mm-hmm. and like literally but like the thing is i learned the technique from them like not from like a percussion te- like i literally just watched them and so he was like um hey like um you were like actually like really good did, did you like study music or something mm-hmm. i was just like and i tried to be nonchalant uh-huh. <laughs> but i was blushing at this point uh-huh. and i was just like oh i did study music technology but like uh-huh. i mostly just binge watched your music video right. oh that's amazing yeah you're like actually both i've studied music and i've studied you <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to say that without being creepy but as sure did you understand that people yeah. are perceiving you uh-huh <laughs> That's amazing, man. That is amazing. I, I'm so happy for you to get to experience something so surreal like that. That's a, that's a once in a lifetime for sure. Um, and the lead singer complimented my shirt because he loves pineapples, like the shaker. And it, it said Casey with the pineapple, like right on. I'm not wearing it. I'm, you had everything. I'm a t-shirt. But uh, <laughs> he signed the, my pineapple. And they also I also have a pair of socks that they uh-huh. signed the first time I met them at this burger shack. Oh, nice. um, I'm a professional fanboy. Like I said, mm-hmm. my music, that's why I'm in this job. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's awesome. Um, wait, wait, but okay. Let me ask you, what yeah. do you have a favorite live performance? I do. Um, Pearl jam live at Benaroya hall. 
um, they did a whole live album out of it. Um, if you look it up on YouTube, it's very, very incredible. The, um, the Hall in, in London, right? Benaroya right. Hall. I'm not sure where it is actually. I know it was. Um, it was more of like an acoustic performance. Like they had like an upright bass instead of like the electric one. Like um, they had a lot of stuff. And then uh, um, there is uh, actually speaking of London, um, uh, is it Prince Albert Hall? Um, Bring Me oh, the okay. Horizon. No, that's what, sorry, did. no, that's what I yeah. thought you said. Okay, I yep. mixed it up. Bring Me the Horizon has an amazing live performance up there. Um, if you're interested in like hard rock slash metal, there it's very amazing. Um, but yeah, send me a send me a link over email. Oh, you got it, man. I want to check it out. You got it. You got it. All right, Christian Mario, I appreciate you so much for coming onto the podcast. Appreciate you so much for being here, sharing some of your story, some of what you know allows you to 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 live white, live life the way that you want to live it. It's been an amazing conversation, man. And Rob, I just thank you because mental health in the way that you talk about it is so practical and accessible and mm -hmm. like that's why i wanted to come on here and just be vulnerable is because i know that there's people like me struggling like i was six years ago and i if there's one person out there that like is in a shitty situation mm -hmm. like maybe things aren't how you envision it right now like like you said take those little steps that you can of those things that you love and like sometimes things don't immediately get better sometimes things get shitty you go up you go down like accepting that life isn't just a roller coaster and that you are along for the ride and that you choose how you react mm -hmm. and as much as you can <laughs> right um, but again, just thank you so much because these conversations are difficult to have. And they like, I, like I, I don't, um, and so I am very careful about who I discuss this with mm -hmm. and like, just thank you for your impact. Yeah, man, I, I, I do it for a similar reason, man. You know, we all go through those times and, we want to pay that forward to people. So I, I appreciate the vulnerability, man. And I appreciate that I've been able to able to be there um, as, as a part of this process for you, man. So again, appreciate you so much, Christian. Um, and for everybody listening, thank you so much for listening to the Please Stay Inside podcast. Once again, uh, I am Rob. Thank you so much. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And I will see you all next time.